Hi, welcome to the Mama Advocate Podcast. This is a safe place for adoptive and special needs mamas to feel less alone and find community amidst their unconventional journeys. Here, you're going to find authentic conversations for me and my guest who are parenting fully in the weeds with you. Our goal is to empower and encourage you to be the best mama you can be as you advocate for your people. Hey guys, I'm so excited to have Melissa Corkum here with us today. She is an adoptee and an adoptive mama and an author and has some brilliant wisdom to share with us. She's also an adoption coach. And I am super interested in this blocking situation that we're talking about today. So she kind of tells us that we are possibly not connecting with our child and maybe have lost empathy or compassion for our kiddo. And it's something called blocked care. And so I'm going to have her explain all about it. Yeah. Sounds good. Melissa, we yeah. Tell us a little bit more. Tell us your story. Tell us all of your wisdom about blocked care. <laughs> well, I'll start with um, my husband, Patrick, and I live in Maryland. We have six kids, two grandkids. So all the kids are starting to get to older ages. Uh, our youngest is 16. Our oldest is 25. So we still have four at home plus a granddaughter. Uh, so life's very busy. Um, like you mentioned, I'm, we're an adoptive family. So two of our kids came to us by birth and four of them came to us through adoption. Um, and then, like you mentioned, I'm a Korean adoptee and I have two siblings also adopted from Korea. Um, the next question people ask is, are we biologically related? Not that we know of. So. That's kind of our family in a nutshell. Uh, my mom also lives with us. So we're a four generation household, which is super crazy and super fun. And um, I feel really blessed by the fact that our kids get to grow up around so many layers of extended family. And blocked care is a subconscious, I think that's really important to highlight. So something that we're not in control of that's happening outside of our control, self-protective mechanism that happens in our nervous system when our nervous system is under extreme stress, overwhelming stress. And that overwhelming stress can look like a lot of things. Sometimes it's just our kids and their really big behaviors and their needs or the way they interact with other people or the world. And sometimes it has nothing to do with our parenting journey. It might be a job loss or a sickness or a global pandemic or all the things. So that's blocked care at its basics. Yeah. And so blocked care can be with any child, correct? Yeah, any absolutely. Parent, right. Okay. Yeah. So it does not have to be Dr. but I, feel like that's often, especially probably listeners here, and that's often probably where we're coming from is that heightened stress of behaviors and all of those things kind of stacked on. Yeah. And I would say one of the reasons I think blocked care is more pervasive in adoptive families is because kids can also have what we call blocked trust. Mm. And I think we're familiar with this a little bit more than we are with blocked care, but I think we call it different things. So sometimes we call it attachment disorder or attachment challenges or developmental trauma. But when kids come to us already with this history of the world perhaps being unpredictable, a world where they couldn't rely on 
safe and caring adults, nurturing care, attuned attachment, then their nervous system starts responding to the world also in a self-protective way. And, you know, adoption is one of those situations. It's unique in the sense that we're asking kids, especially kids who have a really overt history of neglect, abuse, or trauma, we're asking kids to trust the same types of people that hurt them to help keep them safe. And so, you know, our nervous systems are like, we are extremely intelligent, complex human beings, and our nervous systems work on data and instinct, right? And so sometimes it doesn't use nuance to understand that the new adults in my life are different than the adults that didn't keep me safe. So fascinating. It reminds me of the book, The Body Keeps the Score, and just how it's all just kind of implanted in our bodies and in our memories and all of our things that we may not even know consciously. Yeah. Yeah. And our brain's making, doing its best to make connections about how we got to where we are. And sometimes it makes accurate connections and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. But it's just trying to protect us. Yeah. Okay. So I know that like with kiddos who have this blocked trust, kind of the TBRI trust-based relational intervention, it's a lovely way to parent them and build that trust and kind of start to repair some of that attachment trauma that they have. On our end, how do we even begin to like deal with this blocked care? If we are not able to really remove ourselves from the situation or get out of this heightened stress level, where does that all begin? What is that process like? So we tell parents that our nervous systems need just what our kids need. And so if you're listening and you're familiar with trust-based relational intervention or trust-based parenting or trauma-informed parenting or connected parenting or whatever you know we're calling it, a lot of those principles have to do with seeing our kids and their needs, seeing beyond their behaviors, understanding the needs of their nervous system, the, their biological, physical needs, um, their emotional needs, their sensory needs, all of those things. And those same things apply to us. So our kids need safe, attuned, nurturing care and empathy and validation. And we as parents need that too. And the part that happens that allows us as parents, as caregivers, to anchor in really strongly into a sense of our own felt safety. If you're a polyvagal fan out there, um, Stephen Porges's polyvagal theory talks about a, a state, an arousal state in our nervous system that's called um, ventral vagal or felt safety or social engagement. And so if we can anchor to that state in our nervous system really, really well through good relationship, good care of our body, um, really just good nervous system care, then we can anchor there even when our, when our nervous system, the circumstances, our kids' behaviors, all of those things are trying to pull us out of there. It doesn't mean that we'll never activate into stress um, that are, you know, that we won't jump at a big behavior or something that scares us or we won't feel activated like we want 
our stress activation system to still be working. We're not trying to deactivate it, but what we don't want to do is for it to falsely leave us in that activated stressed out state for longer than necessary. And so there are lots of little things that we can do to kind of anchor us so that we are resilient to come back to that safe space, even when the circumstances are kind of crazy. Can you give us an example of what that would look like? So let's just say, for instance, that you have a child that's throwing this huge tantrum, is yelling at you, screaming at you, punching holes in the wall. What would you do? Like yeah. to get yourself grounded in that situation. So I think the first thing is really think about, is there a safety issue? Because we don't want parents to think that we're telling them, oh, just ignore, let, you know, let someone hurt you or just ignore something that is unsafe because that's not true. So if you need to um, do something to deescalate your child, call in help, whatever that is, like safety is paramount. Um, but a lot of times our kids are maybe throwing stuffed animals at the wall and it's, we feel really stressed out by it. But if we could, if we were able to step away for just a sec, like it's probably not the end of the world. Right. And so I think in those moments, we, we try to figure out what cues stress to our nervous system and what cues safety to our nervous system. Let me actually back that up. I think we have to do that reflection work outside of the stressful moments, right? We have to get to know our nervous system really well to know what types of things make me feel, start to feel out of control and what types of things help me feel more grounded, more regulated. And so I, like I tell parents like, post that stuff on your refrigerator on a wall like where you can see it because in that moment when your child starts to show dysregulation in their nervous system your nervous system especially if you haven't practiced this is going to move to dysregulation very quickly and so you want like that means your thinking brain their thinking brain isn't working your thinking brain isn't working and so you might need a visual reminder like hey when i feel like this um you know pop an ice cube into my like there are things that we can do to kind of um, tell our nervous system, like, we're okay, or snap out of it, or come back to regulation. So I would say, you know, study yourself first, and then think about, and it's going to be different for every person, but there are some things that we know, like um, extreme temperatures, particularly cold in our face or our mouth, um, kind of tell our body, we're okay, they kind of reset. Um, one way to think about it is, we have a subconscious part of our nervous system called neuroception. And that's the part that's gathering millions of bits of data every second and then examining it all in, you know, instinctually to say, are we safe or are we not safe? And it is a split second decision. It's based on a confirmation bias. It's not always accurate, but it's what we call bi-directional. And that means that there is data that our mind is giving to our bodies. So like, for instance, if our mind saw that there was a bear, it would immediately um, shorten our muscles, do a sh like shot of adrenaline, like it would get us ready to run away. It's going to change things in our body. But we can also 
change things in our body to tell our minds that we're okay. And so, for example, if we get really um, flushed and hot when we're angry, a lot of people talk about that, like our body temperature rises, then if we can put something cold on our face and start to lower our temperature or give cues of coolness to our body, then our mind's like, oh, wait, maybe we're not as angry as we thought we were. Or if we are feeling anxious and our heart is racing and you're thinking, you're looking around and you're like, I'm not sure why I'm anxious. I, I probably, sh- I don't need to be. Then we can slow our heart rate and our respiration, right? By taking slow, deep breaths. And that's telling our mind, oh, wait, we're probably okay. So those are some of the cues that we can start to feed our mind in those stressful situations to kind of stay anchored and in charge of ourselves. You feel like that also, like we're, you know, we're kind of trick, not tricking our mind, but kind of tricking our mind in that situation, right? We also train our mind in that as well. So that, I mean, kind of, I think Pavel was stopped, but I'm, you know, that feels like a horrible example to use here, but kind of the same thing of like, I'm going to hear this screaming, but now I, my body automatically starts to go to calming down. Like instead, instead of going to the stress mode, going into this calm mode, does that make sense? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I I think we don't want to necessarily condition ourselves to be calmed by a scream necessarily. Right. But we, because sometimes we're going to hear a scream and we're going to need to know and react. We want to, um, and calm and regulation are also not synonymous, right? So we can be in charge of our nervous system, which is regulated and not necessarily be calm. Right. Like, I mean, just think about uh, if you're a sports fan and you're, you know, at the buzzer of whatever sport you like to watch and it's a tie game, you know, like and there's something exciting happen happening and someone's going to come back, you know, or they're going to go into overtime and and you're yelling and screaming and cheering and all of those things like you're probably regulated, like, you know what you're doing, you're choosing to enter in to this excitement and this higher energy in your nervous system, but you're not calm. Right. So I think we just need to develop the best sense of self-awareness so that when the scream happens, we can almost be an observer to say what's going on in my body. Like, yeah, I instinctually, we're all probably going to jump or look up, you know, like we're going to get alert. Like, what is that? And what I think we need to do is then instead of falling into a state of hopelessness or fear or despair um, because maybe screams like that have devolved into something really big with our kids. We need to be able to create just a second of a pause, right? To, to do a quick um, actual cognitive evaluation instead of this instinctual one to go, okay, is this something that needs to be addressed? How should I address it? Are we safe? How can I regulate myself so that I can help regulate my child? I love that. I've never thought about the difference between regulation and calm, but that makes complete sense. Hey, let's take a quick break. Mama, I know that you are doing a great job, but maybe there's something you've been neglecting, like yourself or your marriage, the rest of your family or the systems in your home, or maybe you're just ready for a change, but you don't know where to start. That's where we come in. 
Mama Systems can help you put systems in place so that your family is more organized, more peaceful, and more balanced. And so that you feel like you can get everything done that you need to get done during the day. We'll help make sure that you have a plan to advocate for your child in school and in the community, that you take care of yourself, your marriage, and the rest of your family, and that you have systems in place to help build teamwork mentality in your home and make daily life more manageable. All of this is doable and you deserve it, Mama. Check out mamasystems.net today. All right, back to our show. Yeah, okay, I have a question to ask and if you don't feel comfortable answering this, feel free to just say it. But I'm curious what this experience was like writing this book, kind of having both experiences of being an adoptee and being an adoptive mama. Yeah, so we, you know, I wrote a note to adoptees in case they pick it up at the beginning because we were sensitive to the fact that sometimes as parents talk about their experience of blocked care, it could trigger shame or just be triggering to adoptees. And ultimately what I ended the note with is this is feels like important work to me, both as an adoptive parent and an adoptee, because I desperately want adoptees to be able to grow up and be cared for by parents who aren't in blocked care. And I'm fortunate to be an adoptee who is parented by parents who I don't think were ever in blocked care with me, or if they were, it wasn't for long seasons. Like the overarching memory and feeling that I have from my growing up was that I, and I recognize that I was not an easy kid to parent, that they did the best with what they had and they they did a really great job. Um, and so it could have, if my experience was different, I think maybe the experience of writing the book would have been different. But ultimately, you know, I wish for my mom that she had had any number of resources for adoptive parents because there was nothing, or if there was, we didn't know about it, uh, you know, in the 80s when, when they were raising us. And they could have used more resources. You know, they did, again, they did the best with what they could, and none of it was trauma-informed. I love the fact that you were adopted and then went on to have that be part of your story again. Like, I think that's a beautiful thing. Often I feel like, like our adoption journey has just been so stinking hard. And I would be shocked and appalled if anyone in our family decided to adopt after this because it's just been so difficult, right? And so it's a beautiful, I feel like this, it's just a beautiful testament of your faith and um, how the Lord has healed you and used you and all of those things. So, well, I can take little credit for it in a lot of senses because it was actually my husband um, when we met. And I, I think I tell the story in the book, but he had two things that he wanted to get off his chest very early on, I think probably in like our first formal date. And he said, I'm dating to find a wife. And so if at any point in time, you know, you can't marry me, like we can be done. And second, I've always wanted to adopt. And like, and we were, Laura, we were so new in our relationship. He didn't know I was an adoptee. So like, so he goes, and I've always wanted to adopt. So if you're not in for that, like we can also be done. And I remember thinking, and I, I didn't know anything about trauma. And I knew that 
um, raising us hadn't been easy, but we had never connected it to adoption trauma. It was just more connected to like differences in personality and, you know, middle child syndrome, like all, you know, all the things. And so I just looked at him and I was like, I, and I, and I've always had a great relationship with my parents. Um, and so I, I was like, well, I'm an, I'm an adoptee. You don't know that about me, but I am. And I think I didn't mind being adopted. And so I don't think I can like deny you, you know, like adoption's part of our life. And I don't think I can deny you that. Maybe my answer would have been different now that I know everything I know about adoption trauma, but that's what it was when we were babies in college. And um, so, so we came into it together, but it was actually his impetus at the very beginning um, that put us on this trajectory. Otherwise, I don't know that I, you know, our family, my parents adopted out of infertility and that's all I knew until, you know, in the, you know, early 2000s, the orphan care world kind of blew apart and the in the evangelical church kind of jumped on, you know, all of that. Um, and so it just wasn't something that I thought proactively about. Well, I'm grateful for him and I'm grateful yeah. for how you're like using your story and, um, using your wisdom and neuroscience and faith and all of those things to help other adoptive families. Um, now your book is called Reclaim Compassion, the Adoptive Parents Guide to Overcoming Locked Care with Neuroscience and Faith. And besides going out and picking up this book, like right away, those mamas that are just, I mean, in the weeds, struggling, feeling like I can't, I mean, I can't just, I feel like that's all we need to say. Right. And just, um, I mean, just drowning and self-doubting the fact that they even adopted or that they've taken a child in. What is one thing that you would tell them to do? Again, besides they're going already to go get your book. <laughs> I think, you know, we named it Reclaim Compassion for a lot of reasons. But when we were thinking about it, we were thinking we really want parents to reclaim compassion um, not just for their kids, but for themselves. And we actually start there, right? Like we have to reclaim compassion for us before we can ever think about increasing our connection with our kids. We used to start with the kids and parents who are in blocked care, like just don't have that capacity to be honest, right? Like we have to do a whole lot of our own healing nervous system care work to get to the point where we can feel the amount of attunement and compassion that would be ideal in a caregiver. And so I think the first thing is we just have to be really kind to ourselves and recognize that uh, blocked care isn't a character flaw. Like, again, it's something that's happening subconsciously. It's part of our survival instinct, but it doesn't mean we have to get stuck there, um, which is why we can talk about overcoming it. But I think it's just that, that kindness to yourself, like, we are not here to judge parents who are struggling to be kind and attuned and compassionate to their kids uh, because both Lisa and I have been in blocked care. And like as an adoptee who doesn't want to be parented by parents with blocked care, that doesn't excuse me or save me from being a parent in blocked care. And so I think, you know, it can happen to anyone and it doesn't mean you're a bad person or a bad parent or a bad mom. Um, and that's the message I think that the most of our families have needed to hear first. 
You, you both do coaching. Is that correct? Yeah. So we about that. Yeah. So we have a website named after the book called reclaimcompassion.com. And there you can find information on our group coaching program. We feel really strongly about the group aspect of this work. And I know there's probably some parents out there like cringing at that. because they're like, I can't tell my deepest, darkest secrets about blocked care to families. But the thing is about blocked care, it carries so much guilt and shame. And Brene Brown tells us that, you know, that's like that grows in the dark places. Like we need to bring this into the light. And we've watched the incredible amount of healing that happens when parents get with other parents who are having similar experiences. Like there is nothing like being in a group of people that's going, yeah, me too. Yeah. You're not a bad parent. Like I had that thought about my kid the other day and, and parents voice things that are vulnerable and scary to say in that community. Um, one of my favorite ministries in Dallas, um, life in the Trinity, their tagline is, um, individual work that cannot be done alone and if i could steal it i would but that's what we believe about this work like it is each of our own responsibility as parents to do our own work no one can do it for you and we're only in charge of ourselves we're not even in charge of our kids behaviors but i feel like it's almost impossible to do the work of overcoming and preventing blocked care outside of a community like we need other people we need people to co-regulate us to co-regulate our nervous systems when everyone in our house is losing their ever-loving minds we need people to validate us we need other people's ideas um yeah we're just and we're built like god built us to be in community in relationship with each other and so we can't not do that for this so we do group coaching um there are some families we work with privately on top of that if there's a lot of crisis um, but that's the, that's the main place folks can find us. I love that so much. And I think there is so much, I mean, there's obviously so much freedom and then vulnerability with others who understand and getting that validation. I know that I'm sure everybody's had an experience of trying to tell a story to like one of their non-adoptive friends or one of their non-special needs friends. And you get some sassy comment back about something that makes you just feel so small and shameful. All kids do that, right? Every parent <laughs> feels that way. Yes. Um, no, it's different. But then talking with people who do actually get it is the most healing. It just has the opposite effect. And that's beautiful. So I'm grateful that you guys are providing that. Thank you. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. So grateful to meet you. Yeah, absolutely. Laura, I also wanted to let you know that if folks, um, we have a free blocked care assessment. If folks want, or like, I hear what she's saying. I don't really know what that is. Am I in blocked care? Am I not in blocked care? Um, so we have made it available. It's in the book, but for folks that want like a quick, like it's like one minute, it's like 10 questions. It is not a hard thing. Um, they can go to theadoptionconnection.com slash mama advocate, all one word, all lowercase and access that for free um, and then kind of get a feel for where they are on the blocked care scale. Amazing. I love that. And we'll put all of those links and all of her links down in the show notes. Um, again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Hey, I'm so glad that you joined us today. If this episode blessed you at all, would you mind leaving a review or sharing with others? This, as you know, will help other mamas find us and in turn will bless them. Hey, thanks so much for trusting us with your time today.